become death. The destroyer of worlds. Epic fails. History is a set of lies agreed upon. Napoleon Bonaparte. Welcome back to Epic Fails of History. As always, I'm Eric Slater, and today I'm writing solo to give my thoughts on Ridley Scott's 2023 epic biopic, Napoleon, starring Joaquin Phoenix. Spoiler alert! I need to warn you, the storm is near. Napoleon is coming. Generals gathered in their masses. Move along now! Those in power only see me as a brute. Unfit for higher office, but I follow in the footsteps of Alexander the Great and Caesar. Evil minds that plot destruction, sorcerer of death construction. I must warn you, I will not lead a second in command. I will win by fire. I am destined for greatness. I believe I speak for all of us. We will all sleep again without this vermin. Whose country are we in? Now, just as a fair warning, this isn't going to be a thorough deep dive into the life and times of Napoleon Bonaparte. Napoleon, give me some of your tots. No, go find your own. Come on, give me some of your tots. No, I'm freaking starved. I didn't get to eat anything today. We'll be mostly focusing on the movie and a little about how it compares to history. But if you want to dig a little deeper, I actually wrote a three-part article series back in 2014 that I'll link to in the show notes. And I highly recommend checking out episode 23 of the podcast on the first French Revolution, aka the Reign of Terror, and the events that led to Napoleon's rise to power. Napoleon is one of those figures that a lot of historians are really invested in. There's so many books written about the guy, and a lot of people consider him a hero, while others say he's on par with Hitler. So this movie was never going to make everyone happy. But overall, all things considered, despite some creative liberties here and there that I'll touch on a little bit later, I thought they did a good job. My wife and I both saw it with our son Rune, and all three of us enjoyed it. Even though neither of them knew much about Napoleon going in, this movie actually made them more interested in learning more. First of all, I think the cast was solid. Joaquin Phoenix is easily one of the best actors in the industry, but everyone else did an awesome job as well. Now, I might be a little biased here, but I think Ridley Scott's an amazing director. He tends to go for a lot of really dark sci-fi and epic history movies. So on one end, you have movies like Blade Runner and The First Alien, both of which I talked about on Podcasters Disassembled, and then there's Kingdom of Heaven and Gladiator. A lot of people either love him or hate him, but I've always considered myself a fan, mostly because of his visual style and his commitment to powerful themes. Plus, I'm also a fan of history and sci-fi. Go figure. I think Gladiator is probably his best movie. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Is this not why you are here? 
But one thing that's worth noting when it comes to Ridley Scott is that his extended cuts are almost always better than the theatrical versions. Like the final cut of Blade Runner is amazing, and the extended cut of Kingdom of Heaven is spectacular. It's like four hours long, but if you have the time to kill and want to get lost in the Crusades for a while, that's the way to do it. To me, Napoleon isn't quite Gladiator, but it is on par with Kingdom of Heaven. And I think, just like with that one, the extended cut is probably going to be even better. Coming soon to Apple+. Plus. Making a Napoleon movie seems like an impossible task. There's just so much to cover in such a limited amount of time that even a miniseries would struggle to cover all the important beats. And then to make it work narratively as a character piece feels nearly insurmountable, especially as someone who spent a lot of time researching screenwriting and uh, just, yeah, <laughs> it's a lot. In fact, Stanley Kubrick once tried and failed to make a Napoleon movie happen years ago. And he was Stanley Kubrick. To give it the perfect ending was a bit of the old Ludwig van. I knew such lovely pictures. I've been noticing a lot of hate online for this one, and honestly, I probably should have expected it. I do appreciate the memes, though, especially the <laughs> the Bill and Ted references. That that was great. Oh, Come on, Napoleon. Everybody's waiting for us. No! No, 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 no. Yes, 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 yes. I think on one side, you have people who never really learned much about European history in school, especially French history. And honestly, I used to be one of them, at least until I got to college and really started to dig into this stuff. Uh, I ended up researching a ton of material for the blog, but a lot of modern audiences don't really have that context. They don't really have a good sense of what was going on in the world at the time and why it all mattered. So some of those people might find it kind of boring, unless they're already invested in the subject matter. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have the history buffs. Uh, and some of these guys uh, tend to get offended by any amount of historical inaccuracy, which I get to an extent. And to be fair, there are definitely some valid complaints in that department. But I think they're kind of missing the whole point. I don't know if it's a media literacy thing or what, but movies will never be completely historically accurate. Because good movies don't reflect real life. They're larger-than-life stories inspired by true events. It's not about the facts, it's about conveying ideas. Who was this person? What was that time period like? And really focusing in on the most important moments. And to me, when a history movie really succeeds, it conveys the emotions of what these people went through. I think it's worth pointing out that Napoleon is a complicated character. I don't consider myself an expert by any means, but there's a reason I had him on the bracket of fails this season. Because while some people do admire him, and there are things about him that could be rather inspiring, he also had a massive ego, and made a lot of bad calls that got a lot of people needlessly killed. He knows what he's doing. What I thought was really interesting about this movie was the way it really tried to humanize Napoleon, the man. It made me feel empathy for someone that I'd often kind of considered a sociopath, to be honest. And I'd argue that he probably was. I'm destined for greatness. But those in power only see me as a sword. But the way the film frames his life and his struggles, it really does make you sympathize with this person who was very much a product of his time, and within that world, rose to greatness. And while he was a man of his time, that doesn't quite excuse everything he did. But the movie doesn't really pull its punches either, and I appreciate that. It showed his insecurities, the times where he lost his cool and lashed out. They felt very genuine and really fit his character, to my knowledge, from what I've read. I'm the first to admit when I make a mistake. I simply never do. You know, there is a reason they call it a Napoleon complex. 
Obviously, the guy wasn't that short. He was a pretty average height from what we understand. But those myths do exist for a reason. What kind of surprised me is that the real focus of the movie is on the love story between Napoleon and Josephine. What is this costume you have on? This is my uniform. I led the French victory at Toulon. What is your name? Napoleon. As the course of my life just changed. Napoleon. Which I thought was really clever. It was an awesome way to kind of really give you more of her perspective than we often get from female historical figures, especially when you consider how women at the time period really didn't have a lot of mobility in society. Using their letters uh, as a framing device for the rest of the narrative really added so much to it, especially considering that those letters were real. According to historians, Napoleon really did love Josephine, even after they were divorced, but unfortunately, we can't really speak to whether or not she felt the same way. For all we know, she may have felt like she was under house arrest against her will, especially considering how little power women had during that time, thanks to our good old buddy, the patriarchy. So let's dig into some of the film's historical inaccuracies. There's probably a lot if you're looking for them, but I'll focus in on the biggest ones to me. Number, Number one, one, the movie skips over a lot of key historical events. I'm assuming some of those will be in the extended cut, but I also get it because of the pacing. Still, it did feel like there were some pretty big, uh, you know, potential epic action set pieces that were left on the cutting room floor. I know why they did this narratively, but I gotta admit, I was kind of, I was sort of disappointed that Admiral Nelson didn't at least get a shout out, unless I missed it. Number, Number two. two, the big one to me was the Battle of the Pyramids in Egypt. That was an event that really happened, it just didn't happen quite like that. Although the pyramids could be seen on the horizon, it wasn't fought directly in front of them. And to my knowledge, I don't think any cannonballs ever collided with the pyramids themselves. I feel like I would have heard that somewhere, and there would probably be a dent. Now, this one was kind of baffling, but it's also not that far-fetched when you consider that there's speculation that Napoleon may have been responsible for shooting the nose off the Sphinx. And I'm not entirely sure how you would show that narratively in a way that's not hilarious and absurd. Uh-oh. <laughs> Why I laugh? Number three. Napoleon was not almost shot by a sniper at Waterloo. <laughs> uh, it was, uh, I get it, like, for the tension and all that, it was kind of a clever moment, but it obviously didn't happen that way. And I think, you know, this one's pretty blatant to disprove because the hat he wore during the battle was actually up for auction recently, and you can clearly see that there's no hole in it. So, um, yeah, that decision, that was that was a little bit baffling, I gotta admit. Now, all that said, none of those things really ruined the movie for me, because at the end of the day, it's an entertaining movie, and I think that comes first. It's not like there was some weird twist halfway through or some kind of alternate ending to the real story. It wasn't like an anime that just suddenly added robots and lasers for no reason. However, from a history perspective, I think the most important thing that they left out was that Napoleon committed a genocide against the Haitian people. It's not something that's widely known, but it's still a pretty big thing to skip over. I'm hoping that they at least acknowledge it in the director's cut, because I feel like that's pretty important to acknowledge. Especially because it's easily the worst atrocity he committed in his life. And not enough people are really aware of it, even till this day. That said, a lot of the big moments in the movie, like the burning of Moscow and the battle against the Austrians on the frozen lake, really did happen. General, we are discovered. Good. Wait! Nice! It's a trap! Retreat! 
And the attention to detail with the costuming, set design, and all of that should be absolutely commended. The production value on this movie was insane. For me, I think the most important moment of the whole movie, though, was the scene where Napoleon crowns himself emperor. Because, in my opinion, that's the most important moment in his whole story, thematically. That's the turning point. I found the crown of France in the gutter and placed it atop my own head. And the audible gasp from the audience when he snatches the crown away from the Pope also felt very on point. Because that would have been straight up shocking back then. And they really captured the look of all of it, straight from those famous paintings. In fact, one of my absolute favorite things about the whole movie is that it really recreates so many of those iconic works of art. Specifically, Napoleon on his horse in front of the Sphinx in Egypt was incredible. I want that as a poster on my wall. So yeah, I'll never understand people who go into a history movie expecting it to be 100% historically accurate. I think if you understand screenwriting, if you understand narrative structure, and if you know a little bit about how movies are made, you would realize that it's practically impossible for a movie to be totally accurate and good. Movies are a collaborative and creative endeavor, and everyone who contributes brings something unique to the overall production. So like any work of art, you shouldn't judge it based on reality, but rather, what does it convey to the audience? And after all, history is constantly being rewritten the more we learn about it. If a history movie really succeeds, it can actually inspire people to dig in a little deeper, to learn more about the real history behind the legend. And I think that's really where this one succeeds. I'm not built like other men. I think a lot of people tend to think of Napoleon as this, like, larger-than-life action hero. Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? Yippee-ki-yay! But I would argue that he's the definition of an epic fail of history. He achieved so much in his lifetime, but he also lost it all. His soldiers were loyal to him, but he needlessly led thousands of them to their deaths. He was a champion of the common folk who helped to defend democracy after the French people overthrew the monarchy, but then he manipulated that very system to put himself in charge, not as a king, but as an emperor. And through his inevitable fall, brought on by his own hubris, he paved the way for the return of the very monarchy he once stood defiantly against. Throughout his reign, he stirred up chaos in his wake as he battled his way across Europe during the Napoleonic Wars, eventually invading Russia in the winter and decimating his troops because he believed himself to be invincible. When all was said and done, Napoleon had lost more than 500,000 men on his ego trip. Sub-Zero wins. Fatality. As we were watching the movie, uh, when Napoleon's army is uh, riding into Russia... I leaned over and whispered to my wife, winter is coming. And winter is coming. I, I kind of got a chuckle out of that. <laughs> Not going to lie. Napoleon was exiled to Elba and then, like any good supervillain, escaped in the dead of night by stealing a ship, rallying some of his former troops and marching back into Paris, only to be outflanked at Waterloo by the Duke of Wellington, who used his own tactics against him. Freaking idiot! where he was then exiled again, this time even further away from civilization to the island of St. Helena to live out the remainders of his days. Exactly. <laughs> Napoleon Bonaparte had challenged the status quo, 
He rose from humble beginnings and accomplished the impossible, a commoner who overthrew kings. In doing so, he spread the spirit of the French Revolution to all corners of Europe and beyond. In all the chaos, he had planted the seeds of hope, even if those seeds were watered in blood. Despite all of his accomplishments, though, we should never forget about all the horrors brought about by his actions and his pursuit of power. His greed ultimately led to the return of the monarchy that the French revolutionaries had fought so hard to overthrow. His ego got so many of his loyal soldiers killed in pursuit of a hopeless victory. Ultimately, Napoleon caused the deaths of as many as 6.5 million, both soldiers and civilians alike, and should always serve as a warning against unchecked power and ambition. For better or worse, love him or hate him, Napoleon changed the course of history. Before I go, I just wanted to point out that Megan and I have a brand new podcast called Nerdiogram. It's a podcast exploring personality types through the lens of nerdy fandoms, pop culture, and the Enneagram. And it's available now on Spotify. I'm Megan Slater. And I'm Eric Slater. And this is Nerdiogram. Nerdiogram? What's that? Nerdiogram is a podcast where we'll be exploring personality types through the lens of nerdy fandoms, pop culture, and the Enneagram. And what's an Enneagram again? The Enneagram is a personality test that helps to determine one's underlying motivations. It can help people understand themselves and others, as well as a resource for self-growth. Oh yeah! In addition to the Enneagram, we'll be covering a wide spectrum of topics, including... Spiral Dynamics D&D Alignments Tarot Archetypes The Hero's Journey The Zodiac Eastern Philosophy, and the Myers-Briggs Test. I've heard of that one before. <sighs> Nerdiogram is a part of the We Can Make This Work, probably, podcast network. You can find this and our other great shows at probablywork.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Um, what's a podcast again? <laughs> You're such a dork. No lies detected. And next time, Justin and I will finally be wrapping up our two-year-long odyssey on the Bracket of Fails with the final match, Francisco Bizarro versus Stalin. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Thank you for listening to Epic Fails of History. If you enjoyed the show, please follow us on Spotify, give us a five-star review, and share with your friends. You can follow me on social media at Eric Slater. That's Eric with the K, Slater with the D. And be sure to check out our other great shows from the Probably Work Podcast Network, including Podcasters Assemble, Comic Zombie, Too Young for This Trek, The RPG Years, and The Super Switch Club, a Nintendo podcast. Music and jingles produced by Deft Stroke Sound. This episode was edited by Eric Slater. This has been a presentation of the We Can Make This Work Probably Network. Follow us on Twitter at Probably Work for more of our questionable content. Also, we have a website called ProbablyWork.com. It's an it's inter it's an entertain it's an entertaining movie. However, from a history perspective, I think the most important thing that they however from a history perspective oh god damn it however from a history perspective um unless you were there and even then <laughs> oh man that's a whole conversation that uh that that was sarcasm just in case that wasn't clear.